welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. start out here and then I may run up this ramp in the middle of the sermon. Uh, anyone been to a U2 concert? Yeah, a couple older people. <laughs> Come on, U2 is a good, a good band. Bono always has something like this where he runs around during Where the Streets Have No Name, which is actually a song about heaven. So, and he's running around like just in joy. And so he would just like run and sing it. So I just may get like overjoyous this morning and run and preach. We'll, we'll see. Um, actually, so I'm actually going to walk up. This, I can't do this down here. Now, this is weird for me, though, up here, um, because I'm normally on the ground. But as you see, we've been in Rosedale now for three weeks, and we've had to move, because this is an art school. So they're doing an arts show. They're doing an arts program. And that's why. Uh, there's this ramp here, and then now they put this over here because we moved over there last week, and then now we're up here, and this is actually really awkward for me to, to look at you guys. So don't look at me while I'm like, everybody turn around. Uh, so um, like I said, Rosedale, we've been here for three weeks now, and I just want to reiterate that this was, a, this was a temporary move. This was unexpected for us. We weren't planning on this. This kind of came out of nowhere for us. And they're doing renovations at Jarvis, and this is why we're here this, this morning. Our permit for here is one more week. So only be here one more week next Sunday, and then we should be back at Jarvis. I'm not sure if that's actually going to happen. I'm going to check on the renos this week and see if that happens, and, and if it is, we'll, we'll be back over there soon. Uh, another thing, uh, Missy and I have some news. We, so, <laughs> you know, normally when people say that, you're like, they're pregnant. That's, I shouldn't have introduced our news like that, <laughs> where she's not pregnant. She, that is, we're, we're done with that. We have two beautiful daughters. And so, sorry, I, I made you guys think that. Uh, but we are now permanent residents. Yeah, that's good, right? How awesome is that? Uh, so we're now permanent residents of, of Canada, and I have this strong urge to eat poutine all the time and <laughs> to say so sorry when I don't have to things like that. Uh, but it's actually really cool. The Olympics are on, and we, we've been like cheering for both Canada and the U.S., which has been really good this Olympics, because the U.S. has done horribly, and Canada's been doing awesome. Although, in Canada, we got shut out in curling, and, and we only won bronze and, bronze and, and silver in hockey. So that's, those are like our sports, right? Like, we should be dominating. But um, it, overall, it's been a good year. So um, the other thing I want to highlight, one more thing. Um, we pray, there's a group that prays at 9 a.m., I believe, every Sunday morning. And anyone's invited to that. 
So they're, they're, they're praying over the church, they're seeding things into what we're doing. All of our teams are actually praying as they're serving. These are, this is, this is um, a spiritual exercise. This isn't just something we do, it's not a performance, it's, it's, it's all about the kingdom. So everything we do on Sunday mornings is trying to seed into the kingdom. And so if you wanna join prayer, um, they're in a room somewhere, and uh, you can find them uh, praying in a room, and, and then, uh, and so feel free to join them. All right. Oh, one more thing. <clears throat> this is our last week in our scriptural spiritual awakening series. Next week, we're starting a new sermon series. It's called Mountain. And it's all, we're going to go through the Sermon on the Mount in the next three months or so. Um, it's three chapters. So it's going to be a lot, a lot uh, more focused than what this is. We pretty much did a chapter a week through Daniel. And in Mountain, the goal is to, so what we're doing this year is we were talking about awakening. We're taking this theme of awakening throughout our entire year. And, and so the Sermon on the Mount, this is Jesus' first like, full sermon that, that he gives uh, that's recorded for us. And, and what he's doing there is he's trying to show us how to be kingdom citizens. Now that we're awakened, what do we look like as kingdom citizens? How do we conduct ourselves? How do we act? What should a kingdom citizen look like? What does someone who's, who's awakened look like? And, and you'll notice in the Sermon on the Mount, this isn't about things we do. This is about things that we are. It's all about character. And so hopefully over the next three months, we're going to form your character. Like our character together as a church, as individuals, is going to be formed. So each week will be themed. Uh, the first week is you are blessed. It'll, it'll go into you are forgiven, you are loved, you are a whole bunch of them. There's like 30 of them. And, and it'll end really cool. I'm not going to spoil it for, for you. You just have to wait to the end. Um, but I'm really excited about the ending of it in June. <laughs> it was like way in the future. But um, it should be a really cool series informing our church and, and the character of who we are. So that'll start next week. So let's, let's go into this. Um, a couple years ago, Missy and I, we, we went to this restaurant called Au Noir. Anyone know of that restaurant? Yeah, yeah. Anyone been there? Oh, yeah, cool. Okay, so it's this church in Charles, and it's it's at, at street level, you walk underneath, and it's a restaurant that you eat in the dark. Like, the complete dark, you can't see anything. If your hand is right here, you couldn't see it. It's, it's just completely dark. You go in, they have double sets of doors to make sure that when they open the door and let new people in, it doesn't bring light in. And you actually have to be guided to your table, like in a conga line. <laughs> <laughs> your, your hands are on the person's shoulders in front of you, and you're just like, dun, 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 and you're going to your table. I was doing that because no one was watching. But uh, so you're, you're going to your table, and, and you, like I said, it's, everything's in the dark. So if you have to go to the bathroom, you got to be guided to it. Um, if you have to do anything, you have to, you have to be guided. And like, you're like looking for your, you're trying to feel around the table for your silverware and stuff. And, and like when you get your food, I think I got some sort of steak for my entree. They had to cut the meat for me, things like that. Um, I actually got surprised, so you can pick surprise. So you can pick off the menu, which you pick before you go in, obviously. Like you can't see the menu inside. And I picked surprise for my appetizer and my 
desserts so that they just brought me whatever, and I kind of had to figure it out in my mind <laughs> what it was. And so it's, it's kind of fun, but the thing is when you're in there and you're in the complete dark, everybody's perception is off. Everybody, so you're eating and you really have, it's, it's hard to gauge how far your face is from the table. Like I found myself getting lower and lower to my plate. So eventually I was just like, like this. And then I was like, I'm not, I don't need a fork. No one's watching me. I'm just like, ah. <laughs> I was like the, the beast on Beauty and the Beast where he just like goes into that bowl. And, and so, and then I was like feeling around my plate to make sure I got all the food, you know? And, and so we're, we're all getting in and we're talking. And, and it seems like everybody in there is shouting to the person that they're sitting across the table from because they can't really see how far away from them they are. So they want to make sure they hear them because their perception is, is all off. All, all the way to, at one point in our dinner, there's a, a couple sitting by us somewhere. I don't know. They're really loud. And, and the, the lady, she says, she can't find her purse. All of a sudden, she can't find a person, and so her immediate response is to shout, someone stole my purse. <laughs> and her husband, boyfriend, friend, whatever, says, um, where did you leave it last? And she's like, on my chair. And she feels her chair, and guess where her purse was? On her chair. But her perception was off. Like, immediately she just thought, we're in the dark, someone stole my purse, and, and it's gone. Like, shouldn't be in here, all, all these things, and, and it's just, yeah, everything was totally off. And <clears throat> although it was a great experience, it was, and it was, it was fun, we had a good time, it just, it felt lacking. And, and that's what's happening in the book of Daniel. That's what the, these first six chapters have been trying to get us to see that we are in the dark, that we're lacking, that we're fumbling around, that our perception is off, that we're, we're not awakened. And a lot of us in the church, we may think we're awakened, we may think that, um, that we're actually seeing clearly, but this whole book of Daniel is, what I've been trying to show us is that a lot of us are not seeing clearly. A lot of us are blind. A lot of us aren't awakened. And this whole point was to get us there together, to get the word together with the spirit, scriptural and spiritual, and, and that lead to awakening for us. And we've probably all been waiting for Daniel chapter 6, if, if you've been following long, because Daniel chapter 6 is about the lion's den. And, and if you know any story in Daniel, um, then you probably know that one. This, this lion's den. And so the whole narrative has actually been climaxing to this point. And so we're going to talk about this passage this morning. And, and, uh, and hopefully this will be uh, another further step into awakening for us. Let me give you the bottom line this morning. This is just one statement that if you don't take away anything else, you take this away. And we're going to walk through, we're going to use this statement throughout the whole, the whole sermon. It's, if you are awakened by the king you're activated for the kingdom. And here's the thing, like a lot of us, we, we think we are awakened, but if we're not actually activated for the kingdom, if you're not actually doing anything, then you're probably not awakened. You know, and this, and, and we'll walk through that, but um, awakening is gonna lead to activation. It's gonna lead to action. 
It's going to lead to us doing something with our new eyes, with our spiritual eyes, with what we can see now. And we see that in this book with Daniel. So beginning in verse 1 in chapter 6, the author writes, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. So there's 120 of these officials. And over them, there's three high officials, and Daniel was one of them. So we have 123 officials, uh, including Daniel, to whom the satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. That's important because it's going to come back later, but it's basically saying that these officials were there so that the, no harm would befall the king. So no loss to him, no harm. Remember that. We'll come back to that later. In verse 3, it says, Then Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials because an excellent spirit was in him. Guys, I can't emphasize this enough. This has been said about Daniel multiple times throughout the book, that there's an excellent spirit that's in him, that the spirit of the holy gods is in him, that the spirit of, of the holy God, singular, is in him. Like, all these things have been recognized in Daniel, that there's this divine presence that goes before him and with him, and that he has this favor. And when I read that, when I've been reading it over and over again, my question is, do people sense that for me, people sense that for you. When, you, when you're at work, because Daniel's at work here. He's, he's an official in the kingdom. This is his vocation. This is his calling. This is his job. This is what he does for, for a living. And, and when you're at your workplace, would people say that about you? Would they say, ah, there's something different there? That I don't know what it is, but maybe there's, they sense this divine presence, or, or, or you have an excellent spirit about you. Or would they say the opposite? Would they say, and I don't want to be around that person. They're always complaining. They're always frustrated. They're always saying, they're always pointing out the wrong things. They're never giving any solutions. They're always giving problems. Like, would, would people say that about you, or would they say you have an excellent spirit? And in our church, we want to be a people who among us, we have an excellent spirit. Because if someone can't say that about you here, how are they going to say that about you out there in the world? So as you, as you serve in the church, as, as we work alongside one another, as we co-labor for our city, we should, we, hopefully, as brothers and sisters in Christ, that should be in and among us. Because if that isn't even here in the church, how do we expect it to be out there in our city? Does that make sense? Yeah. So um, this is... This, this passage is showing us that maybe if we're like that, maybe we're not awakened. Maybe we, we're, we're, we're actually blind. Maybe we can't see as clearly as we thought. But they say this about Daniel, an excellent spirit. The kings have said it. The rulers have said it. And it says, because of this, the king planned to set him over the entire kingdom, over the whole kingdom. And in verse 4, then the high officials and the satraps sought to find ground for complaint against Daniel. So they're envious. They're jealous. So they're trying to find something to, to take him out because now the king looks on, on Daniel. He says, I need to set this guy over the whole kingdom. He's, there's just an excellence that surrounds him. So now everyone comes, comes around him, all the other officials, and they try to find something against him. But they could find no ground for complaint or fault. That's literally, there's no corruption in him. There's nothing wrong with him. And they, and they can't find it. And it says, this is because he was faithful. 
You know, there's so much that we focus on um, a lot of times, and, and we forget that really sometimes, or most times, or all the time, all we need to do is just be faithful. And for some of you, you may have these, you may feel like God's giving you this big dream and this big vision, and he's calling you to this big thing, and he's, or he's calling you over here, and, and you're so focused on looking out there that you forget to be faithful right here. And we want God to entrust us with something more and something greater and something bigger and want him to use us more and, and in greater ways. But we're not even faithful in the small things. And Jesus says when we are faithful in the small things, then we can be faithful in the larger things. And so I've been, reminding the, I've been reminded of this in my own life because um, I'm, a, I'm a big dreamer. And I, I, f- I feel like God has given us big dreams and and. Uh, for for our lives and then also for our church and 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 so I can look way out there uh, but there's actually something that something else that God's given me um, and I won't explain it all because it'll take a while but there's something there's something that I see multiple times a day that God uses to remind me of faithfulness and whenever that thing pops up and it's always random it's not like I see my kids every day and I'm like oh, I need to be faithful it's something actually really uh, random and whenever it pops up in my day, I just think faithfulness, and I pray, God, just let me be faithful with what's right in front of me. And it's just something that, that comes up throughout my day. And you see here that Daniel, they couldn't find any fault with him because, not because he was better than everyone else, not because he was more holy, not because he, he uh, sinned less or, or whatever, just because he was faithful. Just because he was faithful. And no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we're not going to find anything unless we find a connection with the law of his God. That's dirty. I don't know. That's, <laughs> that's just dirty. They're like, because, they're like, because he's faithful, oh, we can use that to, to our advantage. And, and, and so what they do in verses 6 through 9 is that all the officials get together, and it says they came together by agreement. That word in the Hebrew is literally like they came together in a throng. Like they came together like, you, you can picture this. I don't think this is what happened, but you can picture this like, like uh, they came together with torches and, and spears and, and pitchforks, you know, to try to take Daniel down. Because that's the imagery that the word creates for us. And they go to the king and they say, uh, and, and they say, make this injunction, make this ordinance that if anyone petitions any god, this is in verse 7, or man for 30 days except you, O king, they'll be cast into the den of lions. They'll be dead. It'll be an ex, uh, a death sentence for them. And the king, he doesn't really think about it. He's just like, yeah, uh, that sounds like a good idea. And so he signs the injunction, and now it's law. And then in verse 10, It says, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, so get this, he knows it's been signed. This isn't a secret. This is a a law of the kingdom now. So the officials did this, and then they made this law. So it's heralded. It's publicly proclaimed. So Daniel knows that this has happened, but he doesn't let it stop him. It says, he goes into his house where he had windows in his upper chamber, open toward Jerusalem, He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Faithfulness. He did not let consequences and circumstances 
dictate his faithfulness. And he's still faithful, as he'd done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plead before his God. They found him doing it. And when I, I remember reading this when I was like a teenager or something, when we first started going to, to uh, church, and I thought, why did he do that? That's just dumb. Like, he should be, he should be wiser than that. Like, why is he still, why is he so public about it? Why didn't he just go, uh, he, he, he had a couple other options. He could have just not worship God for 30 days. It's just 30 days. Like, what's the big deal, right? Um, he could have just done it privately. He could have just holed himself up in his own closet and done it privately. Like, what's the big deal, right? And the big deal was because he wanted to remain faithful. And he didn't want to compromise his faith. And he knew that he represented something much bigger than himself. And unfortunately for most of us, your faith is, confi is confined. It's confined privately. It's confined to church. And your neighbors have no idea you're, you're a follower of Jesus. Your coworkers, they may know you go to church, but they have no idea why you believe what you believe or what you believe. They may not even know you're, you're a Christian. Your extended family, they may know you're a Christian, but, but you just struggle to talk about faith with them. So they don't know, again, they don't know why you believe what you believe. And they have this caricature of what you actually do believe. And we're so, we've, con just, we've so confined our faith. And Daniel's like, no. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to remain faithful. I'm not going to let consequences of what people will think about me, how people are going to judge me, what people are going to say about me, or even death dictate my faithfulness. I'm going to stay faithful and I'm going to remain faithful to my God because I trust in him. And he doesn't confine his faith. And even though it's in his own house, right? He's still public about it. He's still doing it in public where people can see him. And for us as followers of Jesus, if we are awakened by the king, by King Jesus, then, our, then, then we are activated for the kingdom. And your faith is not going to be just private. It's not going to be just in church. If you're a disciple of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, we always say at this church, then you are engaging society. You start with a kingdom, you're a disciple of the kingdom who engages society, and out of that comes the church. If we're not engaging society, then we're not the church. We're just a bunch of people who get together in this space and sing weird songs and then go home and listen to some random guy speak, and that's it. Uh, I, and that's not who we are, guys. We're supposed to be out in the city. We're supposed to be out in our communities. We're supposed to be proclaiming the name of Jesus. And I get that it's hard. And I get that it's, it's against our culture. Um, it's, it's hard for me sometimes to tell people that I'm a pastor, which sounds kind of weird. But I still have this, like, if you know our story, you know that we, that me personally, I had all these idols of success and, and money, and uh, those were kind of grabbing hold of my heart. And, and when I surrendered to the call to ministry, God did a huge work in those things, but those still creep their head back sometimes. And so some, sometimes I'm like, oh, like I meet a new person. I'm like, okay, I have to tell them <laughs> I'm a pastor. Uh, and I'm like, what are they going to think about that? And I just have to make the choice. I just have to say, 
You know, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. I was, yeah, I, I hate to start with like the pastor thing, uh, but we just, and, and it's a conscientious, conscious choice where I have to step out and say, yeah, this is who I am. And, and trust that God's going to work and trust that God's going to move. And you have to trust that. If you're a person with an excellent spirit in your workplace, you have to trust that, that God's going to move if, you, if you're faithful. And you always want to point to Jesus. Now, if you don't have an excellent spirit, don't tell people <laughs> your followers. Just, don't tell people who come to this church. <laughs> Please don't tell them that. <laughs> work on your spirit first. And we're, just let the spirit work in you. Let him build character in you, and then point to Jesus. If you're a complainer, don't say, yeah, Jesus taught me that. That's, that's, not, that's no bueno. Like, please, please don't do that. We want to represent Christ well. And Daniel does that. He represents Christ well. So he's always pointing to God. Uh, and we're going to see the result of that in, in a few minutes. So <clears throat> Daniel, he, he's praying. They come and see him, and... They go to the king, and they say, hey, king, this is verses 12 and following, didn't you make this law that if anyone did this, they would be killed, they'd be thrown in the lion's den? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I did that. And they're like, ha we got Daniel. And, and they say, Daniel, one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you and, and makes his petition three times a day. And verse 14, when the king heard these words, he was much distressed. This wasn't a good thing for the king because he loved Daniel. And they had tricked him into this. And in this moment, he felt like he was duped. And he had much distress. And so he sets his mind to rescue Daniel, to deliver him. And so he labors all day till the sun went down he, to, to rescue him. And then the man came and said, hey, you got to make a decision, and the decision has to be his death because you're not above the law. Even though you're the king, you made the law. You're not above the law. You have to obey the law, and so he does. In verse 16, the king commands, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. And the, king, king, and the king declares to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, even the king recognizes his faithfulness. Even the king recognizes that he is just faithful. He says, you serve him continually, and may he deliver you. And then a stone is brought, laid on the mouth of the den, and the king seals it with his own signet and the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. And this is a pit, guys. So like, it's like Darius is standing over Daniel right here. They just throw them into the pit, and they put a stone on top, and they seal it. They, they walk away. And in verse 18, it says, the king went to his palace, spent the night fasting, no diversions, that word is literally, literally entertainment, so no diversions, entertainment, whatever, were brought to him, and, and he didn't sleep that night. Sleep fled him. He was so distraught, he was so distressed, he was so worried. He knew it was the wrong decision. He knew he, had, he looked like a fool, he had been tricked, that the guy who was his favorite, that he was gonna make the ruler over the entire kingdom, they were jealous, they were envious, they tricked him into putting him into this lion's den, into killing him. But he still has hope. So in verse 19 it says, then at daybreak, 
At break of day, the king arose, he runs in haste. So he went in haste to the den of the lions. And as he came near the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. And the king declared to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God. This is the, to my knowledge, this is the only time in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew scriptures, where a Gentile, a non-Jew, declares the God uh, of the Hebrews as the living God. This is normally a, a Jewish refrain, a Jewish phrase. And he says here, and he, and he says it here. And this is totally unique and totally different because in, in the scriptures, again, to my knowledge, he's the only one that does this. And we see here an awakening happening. Even Nebuchadnezzar, he calls God the most high God. So he's still like, oh, he's the most high above uh, maybe above all these others, but, but Nebuchadnezzar, I mean, Darius recognizes that he's a, the living God. Like he is the God. And when you see all the, all the um, just the, the phrase for renouncing idols in the scriptures, it's always like these idols are dumb, they're deaf, they're, they're mute, they can't hear, they can't speak, they're just wood, they're just stone. And so it's highly significant that a Gentile, especially the Persian king, says that he is the living God. So he recognizes that here. And later on, he's going to declare it over the entire kingdom, guys. He's going he's to declare it over everybody, all peoples and all nations, over the Persian kingdom, which was a huge swath of people and land. And he's going to declare God as a living God, awakening. And so he goes there and he says, Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And Daniel says to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I've done no harm. So two things there. Daniel is found blameless before God, and he didn't do any harm to the king. Remember, all those officials were set up the 123 of them, to do no harm to the king. But 122 of them, what did they do? They tricked the king. They made him suffer loss. They, they did harm to him. They did harm to his reputation. If nothing else, he had a sleepless night. He, he went without food. He was anxious and, and, and experienced a bunch of despair and anxiety. And so in, in, their, in their selfishness, those other officials, in their envy, in their jealousy, they did harm to the king. And Daniel, it says, I have done no harm to you. I have not made you suffer loss. And on top of that, I was found blameless before my God. I had done nothing wrong. And I thought, if I was thrown into the lion's den, if this whole thing happened now, today, and I was thrown in the den of lions, would I come out unscathed and unharmed like Daniel? because I was found blameless, because I had done no harm to, in, in this case, Daniel's boss, right? His, his vocation. What, can I come out and, and say that? Or can you say that? Or would you come out missing an arm and a leg? Or would you not come out at all? Because you weren't found blameless. Because you, you weren't, because you actually do harm to other people because you actually do make other people suffer loss. 
And here Daniel could say, I haven't made anyone suffer loss, especially you, King. I have been found blameless before God. And that's why he saved me. It's nothing, it's nothing else. It's all, it's all him. And I think it's funny because this whole scene is funny because they're actually having this conversation while Daniel's still in the pit. Because it says after that, the king was exceedingly glad and then commanded Daniel to be taken up out of the den. I'm like, they're talking. And like the lions are all there. And the king's just talking to him like, like nothing's happening. Um, and, and Daniel's like, yeah, thanks for taking me out finally. Like he doesn't know how long those mouths are going to be shut, right? So he brings them out. And it says no kind of harm was found on him because of his faithfulness, because he had trusted in his God. And then verse 24 is pretty, pretty bad for the 122 officials and their families. They did make the king suffer loss, so they're actually, all of them uh, and their families are thrown into the lion's den. And it says that before they even reached the bottom, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. That's pretty graphic. Um, and, and they weren't faithful. They weren't even faithful to the authority that had been placed over them in the king. And in verse 25, this is the result. King Darius writes to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, which is a little <laughs> presumptuous, but that's how big the Persian kingdom was in that day. Uh, and he says, peace be multiplied to you. And this is, there's a lot of parallels between this and Nebuchadnezzar's statement as well, because Nebuchadnezzar does the same thing. So the Babylonian king does the same thing. Now Daniel is in a completely different kingdom. This is a completely different kingdom that has overtaken taken Babylon, and still God is with them. And, and so we see this again. Darius says, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he, and here it is again, is the living God. That's different from Nebuchadnezzar. Enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to, to the end. And this is also different from Nebuchadnezzar. The king Darius, King Darius, he highlights that God is a God who delivers. God is a God who rescues. God is a God who works signs and wonders, and not just in heaven, but also on earth. And he's a God who saves. And he saves, he's saved Daniel from the power of the lions. And so, as a result, verse 28, this Daniel prospered during the reign of King Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. This whole, this whole passage is is kind of a, Daniel's life is, is this, is kind of a fulfillment of, of God's, or it is a fulfillment of God's promises, of God's uh, prophetic words, um, and, and what he, and his commands to the people of, to the people who are in exile uh, through the prophet Jeremiah. So in Jeremiah chapter 29, Jeremiah is a prophet, and he has prophesied that the Babylonian captivity is going to happen, that exile is going to happen, that the people are going to be taken over, they're going to be put into Babylon. And he's also prophesied that another nation is going to come and take over Babylon, and then eventually the people are going to be set free, and they're going to return to their land. So, and, and Daniel, the first six chapters is all, we see signs in there that God is moving, that God is working, that he's moving to return the people 
to the land. And just the living God phrase is one of those indications that it's opening up, favor is opening up. And we know after the book of Daniel that this happens, that people return under an, an edict of Cyrus and, and they return to the land. And Daniel says, uh, sorry, not Daniel, Jeremiah says this, to the exiles in the land. So the exiles are already in the land. There are, I mean, sorry, they're already in Babylon. They're in captivity. They're prisoners. Daniel is one of them. He is a servant of the, the court. And Jeremiah says this to all of them, sent from Jerusalem to Babylon. He says, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives, have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons, Give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. And so if we are going to live as people who are activated for the kingdom, if we are awakened, it's going to look like this. Here's three things we see in these, in these verses. One, we need to be salt for the city. This is coming out of verse 5 where he says, uh, build houses, live there, um, plant things, eat their produce. Think about salt. We, we, we hear Jesus say we need to be salt and light, and that always confounded me when I was, when I was growing up. I'm like, what does that mean? Uh, think about what salt does. One, it flavors things, right? It makes things, for us today, it makes things taste better. Um, and and it, it takes out the blandness of things. So as we're salt in our city, we should add flavor to our city, guys. Like, we should add something extra to our city. When you see Daniel, when he comes into people's presence, they recognize there's something different about him. And not something bad, something good. It's an excellent spirit, they say. There's something uh, amazing about it when he walks into a room. Salt also preserves. And, and it's, so when we think about us as Christians, we are... We're supposed to be preserving God's culture. There's so much in our world that goes against the culture of God. As salt, we get to preserve the good things that God has given us, the good things that God has given this world, the good things that God has just given us as human beings, and we get to preserve that in our culture. And, and, and I say this as human beings because this isn't just exclusive to the church. God has given so many good things to this world, but the world uses so many of God's good things for bad things. And it's our duty as followers of Jesus to say, how do we continue to preserve these things? Salt also prevents decay, right? So back, way back when, and it still happens today, but salt was rubbed on meat, for instance, to stop it from decaying, right? It's, it's, it's um, elongating the life of, of that product. And, and so for us, that's the other side of it. We're trying to prevent the decay of, of uh, God's culture in our, in our world. So how do, we, how do we do that in our city? For us and for, for you, it may just start simply with worshiping God. We see Daniel praying regularly. We see him working hard. We see him um, uh, just be a faithful person. Like, let's just start with faithfulness in the little things. Let's just, and, and when I say the little things, why don't we just start with our spiritual disciplines? 
Like, if you can be faithful in spending time with God and, and being in God's presence and reading the scriptures and immersing yourself in this book, letting it dwell richly in you and hiding the word in your heart that you might not sin against God and, and being in community, then maybe we can start to be salt on a larger scale. But many of you aren't even faithful in that. And we need to be able to actually just be faithful in the little things if we're going to be faithful in the larger things. And so being salt is just going to start with us worshiping God and us knowing how to do that together. Uh, the second thing is be light for the darkness. So we see here, he, this verse 6 talks about multiplying and bearing fruit in this kingdom, ta- marrying people, having sons, having daughters. And this is, a, this is an allusion all the way back to Genesis 1.28, where God gives the cultural mandate. And he says, be fruitful to Adam and Eve and multiply and exercise dominion over the land. It's yours. And so for us as followers of Jesus, if we're going to be activated for the kingdom, we're going to have to be light into the darkness. We're going to have to bring the light in there. And, and when we read this cultural mandate, it's, there's, there's a few things. One, be fruitful. One, two, be, two, multiply. But then also exercise dominion. And how do, like, how do we do this? How do we do this as, as followers of Jesus? Well, we stop cowering in the corner. We stop hiding our faith. We stop only confining our faith to here or our home or making our faith private and personal. And we just declare who we are as sons and daughters of the living God. And now I'm not telling you to go to Dundas Square and stand next to that other guy and say, repent, repent, and yell at everybody when they cross by. Although, whenever I see that guy, do you know who I think of? I think of John the Baptist out there in the wilderness telling everyone to repent. And you know who preaches the exact same message as John the Baptist? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus. How weird do they look? So whenever I see that guy, I'm like, I would never do it that way. But I wonder, and I think God's probably using that guy. Um, And here we are like, talking bad about that guy, and we don't do anything. At least he's doing something. And God can use his, his people efforts and our people efforts to do something. And, and we're, just, we're just confining our faith. And Daniel did not do that. He was public about it. Now, this is going to go, the third thing is going to go along with this. Be loved for the lost. We don't want to bash people over the head with truth. We don't want to Uh, We can't expect people to live the lives that we're supposed to live when we don't even live them. We need to be loved for the lost. We need to show them love. And he says, I sent you to seek welfare, the welfare of the city, and to pray to the Lord on its behalf. And it's in its welfare that you'll find your welfare. And we need to be there in love with truth for the common good. We need to be working with our city. For us here at Trinity Life Church, We are not a church for our city. We're a church with our city. We don't just want to cheer our city on on the sidelines. We actually want to work with our city. How else are we going to get the kingdom in there? How else are we going to get the love of Christ in there? How else are we going to infuse what our city does with the gospel unless we work with them? So our space in 225, uh, St. Jamestown, we hopefully this week 
we are securing this space by March 1st. We'll be in this space in St. Jamestown. And that is all for the common good. That is all to bless our city. That is all to work with our city. That is all to work with organizations in our city. That is all to build relationships in our city. And it's all to be love for the lost, to be salt for the city, to be light for the darkness. And that is how we're going to move forward uh, in awakening for, uh, as, a, as a church and as individuals. You know, there's so many parallels between Daniel and Jesus in the scriptures. They're both accused wrongly. Both of them have an unruly crowd bringing them before a ruler. Both of them, uh, the ruler sees their innocence, does not want to condemn them to death, but feels pressure to do so, so condemns them to death. Both of them are put into a pit tomb with a stone sealed over it. Uh, both of them have people running in haste to, to their place of, of death. And then both of them arise alive from the pit. And the book of Daniel is showing us so clearly our need for a savior, our need for a king to awaken us, our need for, for rescue and deliverance and, and, and redemption. And it's only the living God, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is going to awaken us. And so this morning, whether you are a believer, a follower of Jesus, or or somewhere, somewhere in between, just ask Jesus this morning to awaken your heart, to awaken your soul, to awaken your mind, and then just let him work in your heart this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are a God who awakens us, who gives us spiritual eyes, who gives us new eyes, and it's not just for our own benefit. You awaken us to activate us. You awaken us to use us to, to help others see, to help guide others, to be salt, to be light, to be love. And shame on us for holding those things into ourselves. They weren't meant to be in private. They are meant for everybody. And so show us how to be a church that declares this love to our city not because we're better than anybody else, not because we're more holy, not because there's any merit in us whatsoever, but only because we're faithful. Only because we love you, because you loved us, and only because we trust in you. And may that be something that people can say about us. And as I said about Jesus, as I said about Daniel, that we trust in God. And we may look foolish at times. We may look naive. We may look like we have no idea what we're doing. But we trust in you. And so guide us. Guide our steps. Guide everything that we do. We give it to you, Jesus. Thank you for loving us. We love you. We ask all this in your name. Amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.